not alone with this feeling. Um, whether you're angry or sad or or nervous or um, frustrated, we're all going through something. Uh, so just adjusting to what what reality is every single day is is uh, is very interesting. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Identity is so important to so many restaurants, but trying everything you can to save that has proved challenging. Forced into two lockdowns, Melbourne operators have had the biggest challenges down under. Most have found it difficult to switch to takeaway and to keep their identity too. What impact will that have long-term? Angie Gianna Kadakis is the owner of Melbourne's Epoca and Eliros. Angie, how are you? Well, I'm very well. Um, I, I, was, I was at work and uh, I thought, screw it, I'm going to close the restaurant because I'm, I'm doing mornings now with uh, coffees and sandwiches as well as the takeaway. So I thought I'd close it, <clears throat> yeah, and um, drive home. And uh, for some strange reason, Punt Road was full of traffic and it made me smile. Yeah, it made me smile. <laughs> and I thought, wow. Well, you've had some good news in the last 24 hours. There is an actual date um, earmarked to, for the restaurant industry to open in the CBD. How did that make you feel? Uh, it was um, joyous at the same time. Quite, um, I was quite anxious about that as well because uh, it means that whatever we have in place right now must change. Um, I don't know how that's going to happen. But uh, a lot of cleaning, a lot of rearranging, a lot of uh, menu compilations, uh, furniture being bought, changed over, plates taken out of cupboards, uh, packaging put away in cupboards. Uh, it's it's going to be interesting how to, how to do all this, I must admit. Not that we're actually used to this. <laughs> how are you feeling about the time frame given um, and – how much energy it takes to open a new restaurant, which a lot of people are saying to reopen feels a lot like opening the restaurant for the first time again. Well, I've been living with this, uh, this, uh, it's been quite nerve wracking just thinking about it every single day and thinking, okay, are we going to open? Are we not going to open? And obviously my, my restaurant, Restaurateur peers also have been applying a lot, lots of pressure uh, towards the the premier, um, and everybody's got a different opinion on on the subject matter. Uh, for me, I've been uh, scrolling uh, menu ideas at the same time as uh, thinking about how we how we're going to place ourselves in in the restaurant with you know ten people, twenty people. Do we do takeaway? Um, do we still offer? Uh, do we still offer the the grocery store uh, corner store thing that we've been doing, like a milk bar? Do we still do coffees in the morning? Do we like? There's just so many questions, um, and do we need to uh, employ more staff now? Is it going to be enough? Are we going to have enough money? Um, are we going to survive the next two weeks? It's uh, so. How do I feel? I I actually haven't slept. 
I have not gone to bed yet. Um, so I'm hoping that at some point today I'm going to fall asleep. Uh, so I'm... I'm <laughs> well, <laughs> hopefully it's the end of this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've still got a little bit of work to do, but... Um, yeah, it's a. I'm not. I'm not sure if you can call it some type of PTSD that we're all go, going to be going through, or, or there's some type of trauma associated with COVID, especially for Melbourne. But um, I'm not alone. I'm not alone with this feeling. Um, whether you're angry or sad or or nervous or um, frustrated, we're all going through something. And of course, there's this underlying sadness as well that uh, uh, goes with it. And you have these sudden bursts of crying, and then you have this laughter because it's just so horrific and just so ridiculous at the same time. Uh, so just adjusting to what what reality is every single day is is uh, is very interesting, and goes to show that you know uh, uh, an industry like uh, hospitality is probably best suited to to something like this, and thank God it happened to Melbourne because I don't think any other city could have dealt with it the way that we do. Identity is so important to the success of a restaurant, and your restaurants certainly carry an incredible identity and persona. What has it been like in the last seven months to have that altered and out of your hands, and how have you adapted to that? Uh, well, I keep on thinking about one, one thing, uh, and that's, um, you know, what does the restaurant do? What is it? Why does it exist? What's the purpose behind a restaurant? And um, it always just comes back to the same thing. It's um, uh, not necessarily just to, to look after people, but uh, we're, we're the people that look after the community. We're, we're the ones that... Um, Put a put a smile on your face, and we're the ones that give you a bit of a bit of a talking to, and you know, give you know. I've been talking to my um, my neighbours next door, and there's a, there's a couple of good stories, but uh, definitely there's there's one customer that came in one day and wasn't feeling great. I said, just do this superwoman stance, you'll be fine. Two minutes, two minutes, and maybe in the sun, you'll be fine. And, you know, it just pepped her up and I thought, okay, we've done something good here. And I think that's what a restaurant does. So I haven't strayed from that that ideology. Um, it's been difficult to translate that to staff, definitely. Um, they've found it very uh, – it's like you know, they know what to do when, you know, they have to polish cutlery and they know what to do when they have to pick herbs. They, they know all the basics and, and the way that a restaurant should work. But this has been just um, like, what do we do? Who are we? It's uh, what do we, what is this now? And don't you have the answers? <laughs> so it's, um, for, for me, it's been, okay, if, if I just know that I am looking after people, then I'm doing the job of the restaurant. So that's been um, critical for my mindset and also my um, my own well-being, to tell you the truth. Uh, but I think that's what I've always wanted to do is just look after people and be be hospitable. Um, I think that's my my job, my role in in this world, and 
And if I fulfill it every day in small, you know, ounces, and, and that's that's all that I can do, really, apart from drink wine and smoke cigarettes. What were some of the things that you changed uh, to adapt to get some money in the door and keep staff employed in a time when you weren't able to open the doors? I wrote a, lo- a lot of emails. Um, I wrote a lot of emails before we shut down. And um, I remember, uh, well, the, the story happens um, from 2019, really, where the start of the bushfires start. And uh, we had two or three solid weeks of uh, concern about our rural brothers and sisters and and the repercussions of, of you know, uh, a fire season that was exacerbated by so many other things that happened at the beginning of this year. Uh, obviously, there was the, the, the fair work scandal. Um, there was the, the beginning of COVID, uh, bushfires, smoke in the city, city of Melbourne. Um, and we were going through a very tough period for, for a good two and a half months. Then the signs of COVID came back. Um, it started hitting Australia. So I was um, I was jumping onto that and and feeling like something's going to happen and we're not prepared. So I started to think about um, what the next steps were. And all I wanted to, to tell you the truth was just to close, but that didn't happen because um, we had to continue because we also have sponsored staff. So. Um, so I knew that we had to get money through the door, um, but I also knew that uh, we had to survive somehow. So I started writing letters and I started thinking about uh, approaching politicians and I started to think about initiatives that might might keep us employed but also feed the community. And I was hoping that uh, the philanthropy philanthropic part of our community will also help out with donations. I was hoping that the government would help out with um, providing some some resources and we would keep people employed. I was also emailing um, all our suppliers um, and also, you know, the subscriptions that we have uh, to reduce um, their cost and their, their pricing. Uh, our banks, our, our providers, anything and everything. So I've been con- constantly doing that. Um, and obviously with, uh, with COVID, uh, restaurateurs would have been speaking to their landlords. So that's something that, you know, that was one of the first things that we did, um, speak to our awesome landlord. And he graciously gave us a, a rent-free period uh, for six months, which was uh, a game changer, so we were uh, able to to keep on going. And then with JobKeeper, that kind of helped at least half the team. Uh, so as as owners, we we were getting JobKeeper and redirecting. Of course, the ATO doesn't need to know about this, but we were dire- redirecting our salaries to to the staff just to keep it going. Um, I took some super out, uh, so I I was covered for uh, for that period. 
So there's a lot of things that you do. Um, and then you start thinking, okay, I'm, I'm okay now. Um, and start calling friends, start calling mates. You know, are you okay? Do you need anything? Do you need food? We have food. We have food. We've uh, frozen some things. We've, we're cooking some things. Do you need some wine? We've got lots of wine. I haven't sold that much wine this year. So I've got uh, a seller of probably about sixty dollars to $65,000 of stock in wine. So, um, you know, we're, and we're a small restaurant. So um, I haven't sold much this year. So I've got plenty of wine. Good Pinot, good Chardonnay. You know, I've even got probably two lines of Sauvignon Blanc, you know, if anybody needs it. <laughs> so, uh, um, you know, and I, to tell you the truth, I haven't been able to drink as much now anyway, but um, we've been just uh, trying to see what else the community needs as well. Um, and the first thing that I thought about also was, apart from looking after people, was I actually don't give a damn if I go bankrupt or if I go into so much debt that I can't sustain this as long as my people are okay. And, you know, uh, we've, we've seen what's happened in, in Melbourne with uh, the cases going up and the deaths and they're just not numbers. And uh, unfortunately, um, some of our good citizens uh, don't see it that way, but but for, for me, it's um, it's not just a number. It's someone's someone's parents or someone's grandparents or uh, someone's husband or wife. So it's it's um, I can't see it as one one death is not a good death. It's not a good number. So if we can do anything to stop stop it from happening, that was uh, the ultimate goal. And you know. Thank God for the neighbours coming through um, and giving us a little bit of sanity. And in return, uh, we gave them a little bit of a kick up the bum so they can get their, their work done every day. Yeah, take your coffee and get back to work, you know. It was, uh, <laughs> it was pretty cool, actually. They're, 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 the amount of um, knowledge and you, you, know, you tap into that resource and you, you speak to people and you understand where everybody's at and what's going on in the world and in their world. And something, you know, there's conversations that I've had with people that I would, probably wouldn't have had in a, in a restaurant setting. So it's, uh, it's made me understand a little bit more about their life or what, what they do. And uh, they don't want to cook. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I've gotten out of that. But, yeah, they don't want to cook. They, you know, they're a bit bored as well. Um, they're sick and tired of, you know, doing the laundry and mundane things and they they want to be excited about the world and they haven't been. But And they don't see the things that we see. And uh, the fact is that in hospitality you get to – you get to touch um, so many thousands of people uh, on a yearly basis, and and I've worked out that I've that I've served about three MCGs in my lifetime. So 
if if I've touched that many people, um, and they go to their work in their offices and they they speak to five people, ten people, twenty people um, a week, then I can understand how they would miss that probably a lot more. Well, it's it's part of my DNA now. It's uh, you know, I I get my buzz, I get my kick out of speaking to people, but I can just imagine how they feel when they when they don't have that support, when they don't have those people around. It's probably um, it's a little bit more imperative for them to to have that social connection, that interaction, that different perspective that you've had of the sort of people that dine at your restaurant. Will that change the way that you deliver the restaurant when you do open the doors again? Well, listen, you know, um, probably the first thing that I think about is like, you know, as soon as they come through the door, I want to give them a big hug, but I'm not sure if that's going to be the status quo. But um, does it change anything? Um, no, not really. I have this uh, this uh, philosophy that, um, you know, every every um, customer that comes through the door uh, would have been a five-year-old at some point and they're sitting there playing in the corner or they're engaging and socializing with their friends and playing Lego or there's one of them's somewhere just by themselves and they've peed the carpet. So, you know, you, you see those those characters in, in, in the customer when they, when they sit down and you, you pick up on their vibe within, you know, five seconds know what type of night they want to have or where they want to be so or if they don't want to have any contact with you as well so for me that's not going to really change but for for what i want i think that's that's changing i think that's you know for myself it's changing rather than how i'm going to um look after my guests because uh Gee, I mean, we've all gone through this now and we are probably going to um, ap- not appreciate, I will not say appreciate because they've always appreciated the restaurants, but there's, there's going to be a little bit of nostalgia uh, with, uh, with every session and I think they're going to be thinking, oh, you know, last time I had this was, uh, you know, about a year ago or... Uh, Oh, last time I had steak cooked this way or last time I had dark fat potatoes, it was a year ago, you know. I feel like there's going to be th- that essence of um, connecting those memories again. So I think perhaps that's, that will reignite them to, to love restaurants more than ever. At least what, that's what I think. What, what makes a great restaurant and what do you love about being in the restaurant when it's full? Um, I love the sound. I love the sound. I, I could sleep to that sound, I think. Um, it's very calming. But I think also that um, restaurants are about people. Uh, you, you take the people out of restaurants and you, you, have, uh, you have apps <laughs> and you have... Um, which is fine, I guess. You know, we're we're gonna we're moving into the technology anyway. But you um, and don't get me wrong, I, I love chefs, but um, they just they, they they do food. They do food very well, 
but they don't interact and it's the it's the service part of the restaurant that it, that's exciting um but the inspiration does come from the kitchen but the the delivery and the the appreciation comes from the service and you might come for the food but you'll stay for the service anyway and i'm sure that you've heard that before uh but I think it's, it is about the people and, and you, you can tell a, a good restaurant because you can, you can see it in the face of the service whether the, the kitchen is nice to you or not. And I think that's, uh, that makes a difference. And being looked after by people, that's, I mean, that's what, that's what we're there for. I mean, we're not servants, definitely, but um, we're there to serve. You know, we're there to look after you. We're there to like give you that experience. You know that that the translation of what the story behind the food is and the story behind the the purpose of the restaurant. And that's what um, I think is it's basically the people. How did you get a start in the industry? Uh, I curse the day. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, I was. Um, I've always. Uh, I'll go back to when I was eight years old. Um, it was the the Fish House restaurant on Chapel Street, and my my sister's thirteen years older uh, than I am, and <coughs> she um, she used to go out with a group of friends. Um, she was married, and they were all like couples. And she said, "Do you want to come along?" And I said, "Yes." I love my sister, um, and she she said, "Okay, but it's 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 a restaurant. Um, it's a nice restaurant, so you have to dress up." And obviously, I don't, I don't like wearing dresses, um, but I dressed up, and we went, and there was five couples and me, um, and I I sat there and I was looking around. I was very very intrigued by the waiter. Uh, and I could see the waiters moving around, bustling around, and they were just really intriguing, and they would stand up really nice and tall, and they were just very gracious. Uh, and I didn't know what to order from the menu because it was fish, and I don't eat fish. Well, I didn't when I was, when I was a kid. And the waiter um, came, came up to me. He was a lovely, lovely gentleman. And he was very softly spoken, and he said, "You know what? You know." And he explained to me that I think that what you should try is this here. It's very delicate. It doesn't smell, and it has a very lovely white sauce. Um, and I think that you'll enjoy it. And if you don't enjoy it, then we'll choose something else. Anyway, he didn't speak to anybody else that way. And he came up to me and, and I thought that he was like, he was my, my person. I could trust him with anything. He had come up to me, he was looking after me, and I was the world. And he put it in front of me when he was, <clears throat> he served everybody um, uh, last. He served me first. And he, it was, from what I remember, it was a, a fillet of Trevally. With a, uh, it must have been a beurre blanc with dill through it, from what I remember. Um, 
and he said, okay, well, this is it, and, this, you know, this is your, your cutlery. If you need anything else, I'll, I'll check in and see if you're okay. And he, he went away, but I could sort of, like, feel that he was watching. So I, like, took the first bite, and I ate it, and I thought, okay, this is, this is okay. I can eat this. My sister kind of, like, looked at me as if, you know, are you crazy? I'm like, yeah, this is all right. So he came up after me afterwards and, you know, I said, so how was it? I said, it was delicious, thank you. He smiled and he left and that was it. But from that moment, I was, I was hooked. I thought, this is amazing. Going to restaurants is amazing. I love this. And so I kept on going with my sister, um, my sister's group, and I would have a bit of a chat with the, the staff and then I would chat with my, my sister and you know they're all 20 year olds and I thought it was uh, it was really cool um, and then when I was at uni I got a job uh, a job as a as a waiter didn't know anything um, actually yeah it was uh, it was in a coffee shop and I I put too many too much too much tea in the teapot and I got fired and you know and and I'm not sure if you know but I'm Greek yeah. <laughs> we're not tea we're not tea drinkers <laughs> well yes we are tea drinkers but an English breakfast tea with a little bit of milk on the side not something that I would have experienced back then um so uh, we, during that whole stint uh I went. I went back and and uh, did did some other work at another restaurant. And then once um, uh, I was kind of like halfway through my degree, and I was getting a bit sick and tired of um, accounting. I think at the time I was doing a, a banking and finance degree. I ended up doing a shipping degree in Greece because that's where I I headed towards. Uh, and then um, while I was doing my shipping degree, I was working in my cousin's bar. And my cousin didn't think that I spoke Greek well enough, so he put me in the kitchen. So I spent the first two years in the kitchen, which is ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, um, so I was cooking and that didn't – I mean, I'm, I can cook. I can cook very well, but um, I just couldn't see myself as, as a chef in the future. So I was more intrigued with, with bartending, waitering, and then after that, that was it. I um, became a sommelier um, and then stayed in Greece for about 11 years, 11, 12 years. And then decided to, to leave and come back to Australia and then started from scratch again. That was fun. <laughs> but, yeah, you got to love it. Uh, so every, everything that I kind of learned about really good service and um, – Wine, I would uh, attribute to some of the finer establishments of Athens, and um, I've uh, I've kept that with me, uh, and I've I've noticed that um, whilst the, what I what I learned in Australia was a little bit more of a an, an aggressive tone that I I actually established um, probably about ten years ago. But while in Greece, uh, I was very, very calm, very orderly, very controlled. And I think in, in Australia, I was a little bit more upbeat, 
a little bit more um, uh, relaxed, but at the same time quite stern and a little bit more aggressive. And then um, after leaving my last, the last establishment and then I opened up my own restaurant, I thought, okay, I need to chill out again and just, you know, just relax into the roles that, because I'm, I, I just thought I'm just getting too old for this. Not that that works because I do have anger issues, as do most hospitality people. With people in Melbourne not experiencing restaurants for so long, do you think they'll have a, a new, new light shone on how important that restaurant service experience is? I think that um, I just think that they're going to miss. They've missed restaurants. They've missed their get their get-togethers and. We're very fortunate in Melbourne because we um, there's there's so many there's so many good restaurants and there's been um, there's so many different cuisines that you can you can have and also like so so many different price points and I think that's been the the, the good the good and the bad uh, and the ugly part of uh, the industry is that the, the, there's just so many that you could experience anything and everything. And to not have that uh, that opportunity to to socialize um, and not do the dishes uh, that that that's uh, that's must have shattered them. Uh, so I think that's um, I think they'll come back with with a vengeance. Um, but I think also that they'll be quite wary for the next six months to a year um, how they spend their money. I think that's what we we probably need to be thinking about is that you know as much as we've all thought that middle range dining is is almost dead, I think it just might make a resurgence because I don't think people can afford it. Um, and as much as you know, we, we we need to we need to save restaurants like Attica because it's also you know um, Ambre and our, our good restaurants they need to be saved. Because uh, they're the beacons of of our of our world of our hospitality um, world, so I think as much as the, you know people do enjoy fine dining, they do live in in the mid range dining quite a bit. And um, you know, aren't you going to go down uh, Victoria Street, uh, Chinatown? Aren't you going to want to go down uh, Box Box Hill or or even Ligon Street, aren't you going to want to experience all those things again? Or even you know, even if you if you can't get there, aren't you going to want to go to um, just get an ice cream or sit down and have a coffee? You, you're still going to want to go to your your local cafe, but even your local cafe is doing some really good food now anyway. So I feel like um, yes, they're going to be going out. Yes, they're going to be experiencing uh, hospitality again, but I think they're going to be quite mindful about how many times they're going to be going out and how much they're going to be spending. So I think that's what we should all be thinking about as well. You mentioned that, that there's a quite a long road ahead before you do open the doors again. What sort of impact do you think this period of time is going to have on the Melbourne hospitality sector moving forward? Well, I think, bef- as I said, before COVID, we were in a, a pretty awful predicament where I think we were all questioning our business model. 
we were all thinking about, um, you know, this is not really working, you know, because uh, we're not, uh, whoever was making money, amazing, but um, bloody hard, I can tell you that much. So I think... I think what what we should should have been doing all this time was also trying to get uh, together as much as possible, and I, I think most of us did actually. But um, to discuss and also go f- go forward with a different business plan, we um, we've been suffering from you know this uh, financial anxiety that I think that's not going to be uh, we're not going to be rid of. I think one of the most important things, apart from you know tackling COVID, is creating a, a some type of model that works for hospitality. That you know the 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 worker is looked after, the consumer is looked after, um, and there's a there's a purpose and a a reason why you're you exist. Because financially, if you, if you can't make it work, then you shouldn't you shouldn't be a, you shouldn't be allowed to operate. And if you, you if you don't know how to operate, then you shouldn't be allowed to do it anyway. But but uh, just before COVID, I was uh, I was thinking that we should be probably a little bit more regulated as far as um, licensing is concerned and. Um, so many people take on directorships without actually understanding what they what they are, or they don't know what the the, the repercussions are of you know even a, what what does the best statement look like, or you know what their responsibilities are as a licensee. So these are all the things that I think about, and if we can't get certain things right, you know, and we did go into just before COVID with. Uh, fair work scandals left, right, and center. So, and the the last thing that you want to see is that people are being taken advantage of, or they're not being paid right. And there might be a few of us, or a lot of us, that are doing the right thing, but obviously some people aren't, or they, or some people don't know, or in, even if they do know, then I think we need to tackle that problem. And I think uh, my peers have already touched base on on that in the last few months as well. But uh, there, there needs to be a solution to that. Well, Angie, you have got a date, and the restaurants at this stage are going to open up again at the beginning of November. How's it going to feel when you first have guests come through the door again? Uh, I know for myself, there'll be a like a little bit of a nervous, nervous giddiness. Um, welcoming the first couple of people, uh, but it's um, I'm I'm also in the back of my head. I'm also thinking how how are we going to make this work? Because um, we we've been discussing you know um, having ten people downstairs and ten people upstairs and perhaps a few people outside. Which um, as yet our permits haven't come, come through yet. Or our grants, for that matter. So, how's it going to feel? Um, yeah, I'm nervous. I would say that I'm I'm, I'm shitting myself really. Uh, <laughs> I'm not um, worried about how I'm going to serve. 
uh, and I'm not worried about what we're going to be serving and, and if anybody's going to go to, you know, then no one's going to go hungry. Uh, everybody's going to get looked after. It's the, it's how it's going to happen. I know why it's happening, uh, but I don't know how. And uh, that first weekend when everybody's trying to open up and everybody's trying to, um, when we're going to be competing against each other again, but um, well, I can tell you that um, I will be welcoming people into our restaurant and I'll be a little bit teary and probably the, that first night I'll be very, very emotional and it'll be amazing and I'll be very happy. But then I'll also be quite um, worried about how to do this for the next God knows how long. So that's uh, in the back of my head. I'm I'm thinking about it, and that re that announcement yesterday just made me really nervous. Uh, as much as it was very exciting. Well, Angie, hopefully the restaurant does open up, and the whole industry opens up fairly quickly, and everything gets back on track. Uh, we've loved having you on Deep in the Weeds. We're really honoured to have you on and share your story. Please keep in touch, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Anthony, and thank you for uh, allowing us to have a platform to tell our stories. Um, and it's so it's so nice that someone like you, uh, a reviewer, and but also someone who's a friend of hospitality, is doing this for us. It uh, it means a lot to us. Appreciate it. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we share the stories of Australia's HOSPO community, suppliers and producers in search of hope during this pandemic. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>